Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna... What is up, everybody? Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot coming to you uh, for, unfortunately for Bills fans, the final post-game edition of Shout, a Buffalo Bills football podcast brought to you by Tops Friendly Markets, as always. Uh, if you haven't yet, you can enter for a chance to win $1 million each week. Kings Hawaiian is pitting two city sliders against each other in the ultimate showdown, and you get to help decide the winner. Vote weekly for your favorite regional slider for a chance to win all season long and earn entries toward the $1 million prize. Explore the interactive stadium to play games, get recipes, share photos, and more. Visit topsmarkets.com slash red zone to enter. And Ryan, I think before we started here, you know, I, I got into the room and, you know, I asked you, where do you want to start? And really the best place is to start, you know, a complete no show. This isn't like, you know, the last couple of seasons where, you know, a Bills team that was learning to win in the AFC title game against a team that had been to the mountaintop and just got outclassed on the day. It wasn't last season when they came 13 seconds away from advancing back to the AFC title game and at times outplaying the Chiefs. This was a one-sided beatdown where, I mean, it felt from the opening drive through the final uh, whistle the Bills were completely outclassed in this game and definitively the better team won. Yeah, you know, it's funny, man. I was thinking the movie Friday. There's that one scene where they say, how the hell do you get fired on your day off? How do you no-show in a must-win game across the board like this from players to coaching, you name it? Uh, this was a team that was soft on the field. They couldn't stop the run. They couldn't stop the pass. They made no adjustments. Uh, and part of that, though, goes back to the coaching staff. They did not have this team prepared to play in a must-win game with a, a chance to play in the AFC Championship game on the line. You know, I think the best place to start, we knew going into this game, and, and like what I'm seeing a lot of right now is this back and forth online about trying to assess where the blame goes, like, you know, and determining this one singular thing that if that had been better – we'd be talking about a different result right now. And I think when you have a game like this, it's important to realize that this was, uh, you know, you talk about complimentary football in the good times. This is an example of when complimentary football, it works in the bad way too. They complimented each other and how neither side of the ball was really able to pick up the other. I mean, you even look at the special teams. I thought Naheem Hines was pretty much neutralized in this game on all of his kick returns. They were begging him to try to run one back and the bills just couldn't execute really on special teams. I think the best run back he had was to the 31 yard line uh, that, that kind of stands out for me. The big thing coming into this game though, to, to keep it competitive, it was going to come down to, even if the bills had a little bit more success on offense, containing Joe Burrow and company. They do this really 
good thing where they're so balanced and they run so many plays. They had 30 first downs in this game. They were six of 10 on third down. At one point, they hadn't even faced a first down for most of the game, uh, first half until they did. They do a great job of complementing each, each, each other, the run game and the pass game to neutralize the other team and to, to suck possessions out of the game. And you go last week when the Bills had 16 possessions, the Bills had eight chances today, Ryan. They had eight chances to affect this game offensively. And four of those eight possessions ended with a punt. One ended with a turnover on downs. One ended up with an interception. And the other two were a touchdown, which was a good drive, and a field goal. You rewind the clock back one week, the Ravens with Tyler Huntley had more success against this Bengals defense than the Bills offense, which averaged close to 30 points a game during the regular season. There's major, major problems on this offense. We're going to talk about this defense. The defense is a big problem in this game. But offensively, we probably got to start with the offensive line because it was one of the real putrid performances of the season. Yeah, I I wrote in the report card article after the game, I said which team was the one that had three starting offensive linemen out because it Mm -hmm. looked like the Bills. It wasn't the Bengals that uh, were playing like it. The Bengals could open up holes at will on the ground. They were protecting Joe Burrow. Uh, The Bills just were uh, not able to block these Bengals defenders. And, you know, kudos to the Bengals defensive coordinator, the way he schemed things up, the way he sent pressure. It felt like Josh Allen had someone in his face all game long. And I go back to that first drive. He has Stefan Diggs open down the sideline. He really can't step into the throw because there's someone coming at him uh, at his face. So he kind of lofts it up there, overthrows uh, Diggs on the play. Probably didn't get to put the, the ball in the position that he would have wanted to. And that was all game long. There were people running at him from the sides, hitting him from the sides, knocking him down, making him escape the pocket and and do all this creating on the run. And, you know, it was hard to grade Josh Allen in this game because I thought he did some really good things considering the pressure that he faced from the first snap to the final snap. Uh, but when, like you said, when when these teams are not playing, when this team is not playing complimentary football, it, it really shows. And it, it showed in a big time way today with the Bills only putting up 10 points in a must win game. Yeah, Sean McDermott didn't want to talk about the weather. He didn't want to talk about the toll maybe that the Bills have undertaken as a team emotionally. There was no excuses. He just put it simply that the Bills got out physical. And, you know, if we're if we want to play the blame game and I thought that that was probably something, you know, uh, an exercise that might be healthy after a, a situation like this is to just assess where the problems were and then. What can you do about it? And that's something that these are going to be conversations we have over the next couple of months, right? As the bills kind of retool some things to me, the two, like a lot of people are talking about Ken Dorsey and Leslie Frazier and we can get to that, right? We can get to how good the game plan was or wasn't on both sides of the ball. But I want to start with just the development and lack thereof specifically in the defensive line, but I think some blame should fall at the doorstep of Aaron Cromer. I mean, he was brought in here to, first of all, he brought in one of his own pieces, Roger Saffold uh, from the jump. That was a complete flop of a move. Like, let's be honest over the course of 17 game season and two playoff games, he was a liability in pass protection. And one of the big reasons why, you know, I think at times when Mitch Morris and Deion Dawkins struggled, I felt like they were kind of on an Island. And they were in a better spot last year, you know, especially when Ike Butker was healthy. You know, Ryan Bates was, I think, a little bit more comfortable on that left side. That position was never fortified. And to me, Aaron Cromer kind of led the charge for that. So that's 
Number number one. Number two is where was the development in Spencer Brown? He took a step back. I know he I know he tailed off, and I know some fans were upset about how we talked about him. You know, last week, and it's not it's def- this performance is not all on Spencer Brown by any means. It was across the board, but I think I want to start there with all right. Was there enough development for the offensive lot, young offensive line players under Aaron Cromer? Yeah, it, it's a tough. It's a tough question, Matt, because I'm on the fence about it. And here's why. The Bills brought in Aaron Cromer, and they already pretty much had their offensive line, I think, set in mind in terms of what they were going to do from left to right. And Saffold was the one piece where they said, okay, we're going to bring in uh, someone that's played in your system before. I think that he inherited some weak links on this line. And one of those is Spencer Brown. And, and talking about his development, he underwent back surgery. Uh, he mm-hmm. missed a lot of time this summer. It's hard to develop a guy when, when he's not on the field for much of the OTAs and training camp. And he's able to, you know, start in the regular season and kind of go from there. But uh, I don't know how much of that falls on Cromer. I, Cromer, though, you know, I, I think going into year two, one, you need to let him uh, sign someone else in free agency that maybe fits what he's trying to do more so than what they already have there in, in Buffalo. And two, this team sorely needs to address the offensive line in, in free agency, or I'm sorry, excuse me, in the draft and early. You, you know, we, we've talked about them a few years ago going after Spencer Brown and Tommy Doyle in back-to-back rounds. I, I want to see them take a first-round offensive lineman, a tackle, a guard, a center, whoever that may be, if that's truly the best player available. Because if you can protect your quarterback, uh, it makes a huge difference. If Josh Allen it doesn't have to run for his life, and, you know, play Superman for 17, 18 games a year, however many games they play in the postseason, it's going to make a huge difference if he can just get that protection up front. Yes, they need weapons, uh, more weapons for him in terms of a complimentary wide receiver outside of Stefan Diggs, who uh, is a, a true great receiver. But I think it starts at the line. They need to address it. They need to address it early in the draft and also address it in free agency as well. Let's dip over to the, the defensive side of the ball for a moment and talk about, you know, the all in approach that Brandon Bean took after seeing what happened last year. And listen, you drafted Boogie Basham, you drafted AJ Epinesa. You are in those rookie deals. Like it, I didn't expect him in this past offseason to pivot off of those decisions. I mean, you know, you're developing the players and where do you look when you're trying to develop players? And that's, you know, Eric Washington. And I think if we're looking at, his tenure now in, I think this was his third season, it's been pretty much a flop. I mean, we saw guys like Jerry Hughes, you know, from a sack perspective, that his numbers deflated over the course of Eric Washington's tenure. Mario Addison was a complete flop. Vernon Butler was a complete flop. They haven't developed any of these young guys. And honestly, like, I think you could throw Greg Rousseau into that bucket. I mean, he just did not affect the game today enough. And, you know, I asked Sean McDermott, like straight up, like, was, did you just not get enough from your young, you know, pass rushers in particular, the edge guys. And he said, if you want to blame somebody, blame me. And that's fair, right? He's not going to throw his young kids under the bus, but I think it's kind of about like the approach. And this is kind of across the board. It's not just with the defensive ends. Like we talked about it on shows in recent weeks. How did you put Kyer Elam in a, in a position to be successful down the stretch of the season when Every single time he's had any success this season, you've put him back into some kind of weird rotational role. Like, I just don't see that for the most part for from other good teams. They draft players and they put them in positions to have success. Play them. You're going to go through your lumps. You want to take yeah. your lumps during the regular season, not 
down the stretch and into the playoffs, which I feel like Kyer Elam's kind of had to do. People want to get into Lassie Frazier and Ken Dorsey, and we're going to get into both of those guys. But I think that today was a clear image to me of the lack of development on some key areas on both sides of the line that those things need to be addressed in the offseason. Yeah, Eric Washington, you know, if, if there was one coach that I think could be shown the door, I think it might be him. You mentioned it. He's been here for a few seasons now. What have we really seen from from this Bills defensive line? They brought in players from Carolina where he had previously been. That didn't really do much for this team over the years. You mentioned Jerry Hughes's production uh, in, in Houston this year and how it was kind of a reemergence of what we had seen early in his time in Buffalo. And yet, you know, everything was based on Von Miller, an aging pass rusher, still a very good pass rusher this season, uh, but an aging pass rusher. And then these young guys are supposed to step up from a statistical standpoint. uh, Rousseau was better this year. AJ Epinesa was better this year. But you just said it. They weren't difference makers when the Bills needed a difference maker. They were nowhere to be seen today. And you can say the same about Ed Oliver. You can say the same about Tim Settle. They really missed Daquan Jones. This defensive line across the board was a major disappointment. And I think that's one spot where if, you, if you're looking for one coach to replace, at least one coach to replace uh, this offseason, it might have to be Washington's spot because I have not seen enough this season or over his entire tenure for me to think that all of a sudden something's going to go off next year for this defensive line and they're going to be that much better under Washington. So here's here's the conundrum on the defensive side of the ball. And I and I actually saw that um, Cynthia Freeland, a great NFL reporter over at NFL.com, does a lot of advanced metrics. She tweeted out some some good stuff about uh, how the Bills were approaching Joe Burrow. And obviously there is zone based scheme, right? Like we saw at times um, them kind of mix some things up when they went to man. If you look at the next gen numbers, Joe Burrow was much less effective against zone. He had something crazy. Like uh, his efficiency was off the charts. He had the two touchdown passes and they were breakdowns at the safety position on both touchdown passes. And um, you know, Dean Marlowe, I think had the first one and then Jordan Poyer with the second one. When the bills went to man, they were much better. I think it was a two for seven at one point in the game and they had kind of thrown something different at him. And I think my big criticism of Leslie Frazier and Sean McDermott on the defensive side of the ball is not going to that quicker. Now things improved over the course of the game, but when you needed stops, when you needed to get them off the field, you just couldn't do it. I mean, in the run game, like obviously Daquan Jones, not having him in this game, him suffering a calf injury, that was catastrophic. And People were like in my mentions when when I was talking about how much the Bills were going to miss him, and you know I was like, "Well, Jordan Phillips is you want him in this game, not Daquan Jones." And I just thought to myself, "Are you you watching the same game that I've been watching all season long?" Daquan Jones has not only been great against the run, but he's been one of the Bills' most consistent and effective pressure creators as a pass rusher, while most of the time taking on double teams. Eric Schmidt with the super chat. I want to give that uh, a shout out here. Not enough creativity, flexibility overall anymore. Not enough decisiveness, no aggression. Both lines, awful. Both coordinators need to go. I don't think both coordinators need to go. I think that that's a little, a step too far. And I also think there's a learning curve for Ken Dorsey. And I'm not trying to take anything away from them not getting the job done today. I think that there should be questions. I think that they should evaluate their operation is have they reached a point of stagnation in on the defensive side of the ball with what Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier do? Is it time for a fresh start? Maybe that's a question that you need to ask yourself and talk about internally. I don't necessarily think that with all the the things that the bills dealt with this year, the, the Tredavious white kind of deal, 
Micah Hyde, Poyer, obviously for the last month, not being right. And then never really seen this defense at full strength with Von Miller. I don't know. I'm, I'm willing to kind of see what it looks like one more year, but where, where do you kind of land on Leslie Frazier? You know, that you do get to that point where you say maybe a change is needed. And I'm not saying that's where I am, but we've seen this before, more so with head coaches, where a head coach gets a guy's a team so far and then they make that replacement. Maybe the next year they, they kind of win it all. I'm not saying if the Bills replace Leslie Frazier, they're going to win it all next year. But there's something to be said about what you said, becoming stagnant, becoming uh, knowing what this team's going to be, the bend, not break, but in those big games, can they – uh, really hold these teams to a certain amount of points. Uh, do they have to be completely healthy? The Bills had an extraordinary streak of luck when it came to injuries the two two of the last three years. This season, it kind of all caught up to them in terms of how it actually works in the NFL. The Bills are so healthy in 2020, pretty healthy in 2021. This year, both sides of the ball were hit at times. Allen with the elbow, all the players you mentioned on, on the defensive side of the ball. So, it's hard to place it all on Leslie Frazier, but in game today, you know, I, I there's a lot of things I just did not like. You mentioned early on uh, the breakdowns defensively. They switched to man. Uh, there's times where they try to send more pressure. You know, I love that. I think it was a third and four play in the Bills. They all swarm up at the defensive line and, and they're trying to mask who's sent, who's being sent, who's not. It didn't matter because the Bills were giving about an eight yard cushion to Jamar Chase on said play. So all you had to do is just get it to him quickly. He picks up the first down with ease and that's all for now. So the bill, you know, the cornerbacks aren't pressing on players in certain situations. Uh, they're not up there in the face. You talked about the the fair criticism of not letting Kyrie Elam get his bumps. It's been a lot over the course of the year, but it, but it's hard to sit here and say to let Leslie Frazier go, because again, look at the Bills statistically where they always end up at the end of the season. They're always among the better defenses in the league. I would say two of their best four defensive players were out this season early on in terms of Micah Hyde midway through the season and Von Miller. Uh, you had a banged up Jordan Poyer who fits into that top four defensive player uh, system there. And you had Matt Milano is probably your other guy who was an all pro. So I'm on the fence about it. You know, if the bills truly think there was someone out there that could get more out of the players. Great. I'm always willing to have an open mind on things like that. But where they've been in terms of the stats, where they've been year in, year out, I also think that it, that not, that's not necessarily fair to Leslie Frazier. Super chat here from Trey Williams. Do Bills have enough draft and or cap to address the O-line wide receiver too while being just average on the defensive line? Well, the Bills did use some draft capital to improve the roster at the deadline. They don't have a sixth-round pick and they don't have a seventh-round pick. They did acquire a second-fifth for Cody Ford. So they have picks in the first, second, third, fourth, uh, and then two in the fifth coming up. And you wonder if Brandon Bean doesn't want to move around and kind of add some day, day four picks uh, or day three picks uh, here coming up. But I think the O-line has to be something that you really look at improving in the draft. Like, I mean, I think the, the way to, it is not always going to work where you just take two swings in the draft and you hit the way that the Chiefs did. But to me, that's kind of the model. And then you look at the Bengals today and like what they've done to build their defensive line versus what the Bills have done. Sam Hubbard is the only guy that starts for them that's a draft pick that they had. He's a third round pick from a couple of years ago that's developed pretty well for them outside of that. But I call him the fourth best player on that D line. BJ Hill, they traded for. DJ Reader, they signed in free agency to a big deal. And Trey Hendrickson, they signed to a, a deal in free agency as well. And I think the Bills went that route with Von Miller. It didn't work out. But I just think, you know, all the stuff that they tried to do to, to, to go the, 
the draft route. You have to be confident in the people that you have in place to develop the players and the players haven't been developed that you took all these swings on in the draft. Here's another kind of side caveat to that, Ryan. I wonder how much, if we look back at this in like three or four years, the Bills taking these players during the COVID years where there were limited resources during the scouting process. If, you know, in other years, maybe they would have taken different swings and had better success, not to give them excuses, Brandon being excuses, but it's just all of this, like the AJ Epinesa pick, the Rousseau and the Basham pick. I mean, all of that was in the, like the dead middle of, of COVID. And, you know, I mean, Greg Rousseau didn't even play his, his, his season before he got drafted. Right. Yeah, no, it's a that's a fair criticism uh, when it comes to addressing it in the draft. Yeah, I, I think you can still get an offensive line upgrade, a wide receiver two upgrade. You know, you look, look at this Bengals roster. They have Boyd, they have Higgins, they have Chase. There's something you said about drafting wide receivers. If there was one uh, assistant coach that I have faith in on this team, it's Chad Hall. Uh, he's done a nice job in his time in Buffalo. I, the, the players all love him. I think you did see some growth from Khalil Shakir, although uh, again, kind of like the offensive version of Kyir Elam. Why aren't you letting him get on the field, get those lumps, get him more targets in the passing game? He was in blocking a lot late in the season, not as many you know, receiving reps as you would like to see, and he came on in the playoffs. So, yes, I think you can get another weapon for this offense, round two, round three, and, and I am going after the best offensive lineman. If there's someone there late in round one that you think is, is going to be a day one starter that fits Aaron Cromer's scheme, you got to give him a chance because he does have a track record uh, of working with these offensive lines and, and having success. So I, I think it's possible. It's difficult, though, because, Matt, you and I know that the draft is far from a sure thing, whether you're picking first overall, 32nd overall, wherever you are in that draft. There's no sh- uh, sure things in this draft class. So it, it's all hit and miss. But, yeah, Brandon B needs to have some hits early on in this year's draft that can come in and help right away. Uh, Eric Schmick with uh, another super chat here on, Oh, inexcusable to not target the short intermediate areas areas far more. Uh, also Mike Hilton can't be getting free shots on Allen on D 27th and pressure rate post Von Miller injury inexcusable. And, and I mean, that's to me, the, the long and short of it, the, you know, I think Sean McDermott for his lack of like real deep answers. I mean, he wants to look at the tape and we're going to get a chance to talk to him tomorrow for, and maybe there'll be more, you know, introspection on his part, but you know, what he said, it was on the money. I mean, not enough pressuring Joe Burrow and too much pressuring of Josh Allen. So I tweeted out this, I'll read it off and, and we could kind of have a conversation around this, Ryan. Pat Mahomes sprains his ankle last night and then he comes back in the game in the second half and continues to make plays in that offense. And if you go back and watch some of the highlights that people were focusing in on, their highlights were featuring running backs and offensive linemen making plays to allow him to make plays. I mean, Jarek McKinnon, was there anybody getting as much shine in their offense, not named Pat Mahomes as McKinnon was last night for his ability to pick up blitzers to help Patrick Mahomes. I felt like nobody in the Buffalo bills backfield today picked up free runners blitzing. Josh Allen was hit eight or nine times. It was an absolute, you know, mess back there. And like, yeah, there were a few times where I felt like he had time, but it was, it's more than just the offensive line. And to me, that was what I would place the most on the doorstep of Ken Dorsey is his inability to put, he always talks about putting his players in a position to make plays. You didn't put Josh Allen in a position to make plays because he was under siege throughout the whole game. Did he make some bad plays? Sure. 
I mean, it's going to happen. I, I didn't think enough people made plays around him. Was there a drop in this game at one point, like down the field on a deep yeah, ball? Or I mean, I would say Gabe Davis's was a drop. I know that uh, the defender did come in and, and get his hand on the ball and hit a little bit, but Davis didn't catch it cleanly downfield. I think he could have held on to it had he caught it clean and, and brought it in. He was kind of, uh, it kind of hit off the hands and then the defender came in after the fact. That was the one drop down the field that I recall in this game. Um, and he, he made a spectacular sideline catch early in the first or late in the first half. So it's not all on Davis for one play, but situational football, Matt, you mentioned it, you know, these third and two third and whatever, and, and you're, you're throwing it downfield. I get, you're trying to get those chunk plays. I get, you're trying to do something big for this team when they're not playing it well, but the best thing you can do is move the chains and keep and sustain drives, especially when your defense just doesn't have their, their fastball in this game, which was apparent from, uh, the, the first, series on so there's blame to go around there's blame it with ken dorsey not putting josh allen in a place to succeed um there were areas where this bill's offense was better this year under ken dorsey than they were one year ago but the one thing i will say about brian dable is he seemed to really do a great job of scheming guys open on a regular basis i think dorsey did a pretty good job at that there were games i went back and watched and i saw guys running open i'm just not sure that he he did as good of a job as Brian Dable did in that regard. Did you, I, I don't have snap counts. They won't be available till tomorrow, but did you notice Bobby Hart much today? Like I felt like they didn't run jumbo much at all today. No, there, there were very few plays, if any, that I can recall them saying that number 68 is eligible on the field. You know, that's just something that you almost hear ad nauseum. You can just get used to it, right? Yeah. You're used to it, but I don't recall that actually much if at all today now that you say that and maybe it's because they got into a 14 to nothing hole and they couldn't run the packages they wanted or they thought there was going to be another way to exploit this Bengals defense but yeah you know after the way things were going you think they would have gone back to that it was kind of part of their bread and butter and uh, i didn't see him out there very much thomas fell zone thank you for the super chat i know i'm a little late but guys can we please let felicity frazier finally go and draft a whole new o-line yeah, I mean, that's basically the conversation that we've been having here for the last 15 or so minutes. And I, I'm certainly not on the on the fire Leslie Frazier train. Uh, I think a lot of what he's done sometimes gets forgotten. It's Listen, it's hard to win in this league, man. It's hard to do, to put guys in a position week in and week out to, to make plays. Does he have to be better in big-time spots? Yeah, I mean, this is the second year where, you know um, – you know, the failure to kind of adjust to really strenuous in-game situations has have cost them their season. So do conversations need to have be had about, you know, the the future here? And I think it comes back to what we were talking about earlier, Ryan. It's just maybe, maybe it just comes to a point where you feel like you you've reached a certain level and and I I remember hearing this too. I think Phil Jackson might have said it when he would when he left the Bulls at at one point. Or maybe it was the Lakers. I think it was the Lakers. It's just like the message just wasn't resonating in the room anymore. And sometimes, I mean, with the potential of, you know, the moving out of Jordan Poyer, like who knows what's going to happen up the middle with the interior. I mean, Tremaine Edmonds, you got to figure out what you're going to do there. Ed Oliver, you got to figure out what you're going to do there. The, the guys that have been the staples of this defense, you're going to start losing those year by year, one by one. And so maybe it's, you know, start having the conversations is the replacement for Leslie Frazier on the, on the bills coaching staff. I don't know. Like, that's a good question. I think for a long time there, I probably would have said that the easy answer would be Eric Washington, but I'm, I do not, I'm not in favor of fire Leslie Frazier and promote Eric Washington mm. with the inability to build things on this bills defensive line. 
Yeah, I don't know if there's an in-house option either, but you know, I love what you just said about does the message still resonate? And and the one thing I'll say about that is if these players sit back and look at how their seasons have ended the last three years, 2020, they were an up-and-coming team where there was a surprise that they got to the championship. The Chiefs were the better team. That's fine. You come back. You're great on both sides of the ball statistically in the regular season last year. You get the lead with 13 seconds and who collapses the defense. They can't uh, stop the chiefs for those 13 seconds and they allow a field goal. They let the chiefs march down the field. So maybe now all of a sudden you're thinking, man, maybe this defense isn't uh, putting us in the best position to win. You come into this game, a must win game. And you just kind of come out with no juice as Matt Milano said. And, and when Milano said that he, he kind of meant it as inter- complimentary football. Usually the offense right. scores, then we can get a stop or we get a turnover and then we help the offense. That just wasn't happening today. But two years in a row, this defense especially, and, and the offense only put up 10 points today. It was, it was across the board. But the defense failed this team in, in a must-win game. So I could see it getting to the point where eventually the Bills do have to make that tough decision. I'm not in favor of it, like I said, unless there's a clear-cut choice. There's, there's an option out there that they feel is better. Uh, but you also said the personnel. It's going to be changing on this team. Jordan Poyer, a lot of uncertainty there. Tremaine Edmonds, who knows? Uh, with, with the contract situation, uh, with, with him possibly being able to get a lot more money elsewhere, will, time will tell. There, there's going to be play, tough decisions in future years, too, on some of these guys. or just guys that they signed this year for one-year deals. Uh, will the message still resonate? That's a great question. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast, hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Let's do the Stefan Diggs conversation yeah. first because a lot is going on with him right now. And we'll talk about maybe the the other thing I want to cover is just the emotional toll that this season's talking about ha, has taken on this team. And Sean McDermott men- mentioned it tonight when he was asked a question about it. We can hit on that. So Stefan Diggs tonight on the sideline, you posted a story about it. Uh, CBS picked it up. He kind of came off the field at one point. Allen was on the, on the bench with the quarterback's coach, Joe Brady. And he kind of just walked over to him, had his arms stretched out wide and looked like he was yelling something at him. Allen never picked up his in in the video, never right. picked up his helmet, never looked at him. Joe Brady had kind of noticed it and kind of put his head right back down. I don't think he wanted it to escalate at all. Obviously, a very frustrated Stefan Diggs comes off the field, goes in the locker room, leaves the locker room apparently before Sean McDermott even started his postgame Um chat although that's not uh I, I don't want to actually say that i don't know where they were at in that point but coaches apparently duke johnson uh 
a practice squad running back, had to come down the tunnel and actually bring him back to the locker room. Um, Sean McDermott said he was in the locker room after the game uh, for the for the post game uh, speech that he gives, but then obviously made a quick exit. This dig stuff goes back to the Browns game, and what's funny about that, maybe you know puzzling that's when the win streak started for the bills they won eight straight games going into the play uh going into this game in the second week of the playoffs and that was the one where he had to be consoled like or you know coached up or however you want to play that with sean mcdermott on the sideline he kind of brought him in there was obvious frustration kind of worked his way through it then weeks later against the dolphins you had pinpointed it that was the game where laura Ackman, the sideline reporter heard him saying get me the ball get me the ball get me the ball and there was that big thing he talked after the the bears game and said it was just about him you know wanting to be the spark for his team and then now it leads to this now in in this game and it's a really frustrated stefan Diggs for the last two months of the season and i don't know if it's necessarily a problem but it definitely seems to me that him and josh allen are on the, on the same page yeah, and Josh Allen said post game, you know, we need to find ways to get the ball in his hands more. It's something we really need to work on this offseason. I think there's something to be said about that. But it's also difficult when teams are bracketing him, which was the case a lot in that eight game win streak. Uh, teams were taking him away. Uh, go to the playoff game last week against Miami. He, he gets 100 yards on the first play of the second quarter. And then what do they start doing? They start double teaming him on every single play. And he wasn't as effective after that point, and rightfully so. Uh, it's frustrating, I'm sure, when you're a player. I'm, yeah, I think when you're a player of Diggs's capabilities, you probably think you're always open. You probably think you can always make a play. So when the ball's not coming to you and you're not getting those opportunities that, say, a Justin Jefferson gets or some of these top players across the league, uh, Devontae Adams, this, that, and the other, it, it probably builds up. And there were multiple games where he had those, you know, the, the sideline incidents, and he always said it's just wanting to provide a spark. I didn't necessarily have an issue with it today on the sideline. I, I guess my big issue was bolting as soon as the game was over before some of the coaches even made it down uh, from the box where, where they are in game. And I know some fans here in the comments say, who cares? It's not a big deal. Uh, I saw a lot of people saying that on social media. If you have that C on your Jersey and you're a captain, you know, that's sending the wrong message when you're just bolting on your team. I get the frustration. I get being upset having your season end the way it was where you're the Super Bowl favorites, you have these expectations. Uh, but as a captain of this team, he has to do a little bit better of keeping those emotions in check, uh, working with Josh Allen and this coaching staff to figure out ways to get him more involved. That's certain, certainly something he can do as well. I guess my biggest question about it is you're right. I don't, I don't care about the not talking to the media. I mean, he's like, you know, they're supposed to talk every week. That's part of the agreement. I mean, you can get fined if you don't. I mean, remember Marshawn Lynch famously, right? I'm just here. So I don't get fined. Um, it's kind of part of the deal. So, but honestly, if he doesn't want to talk, he doesn't want to talk. He's, he's barely talked since, since the Cleveland game. Like I think he's done maybe like two or three press conferences since then, whatever. I don't really care about that. The thing I more care about, for the fans sake is like when we talk to these guys, they tell us stuff. We write stories about them. We talk about them. And he, he, he said that he's taken on this leadership role that you've talked about. He said he likes to be out there in the huddle and be that, that voice on jo for, for Josh Allen when things are going bad to like get him back on track. Right. We've been pushing that narrative since that Steelers game two years ago when he first showed up to town. And that was like the big coming out party. And like, to me, like, sure, maybe he was trying to be that for him. And it, as it was going wrong, he was, you know, he, he, there's a frustration piece of it, but it just didn't look like that. And those are the two guys that 
if you combine what they're making, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. that those are the guys that have to answer for it all. And, and Allen was left to answer for it by himself. Diggs didn't have to answer for it. So I guess that was why kind of more why I'm bringing it up. But this isn't something that just popped up this week. This has been an issue for um, a couple months. Yeah, like you said, we've seen it since the Browns game. Something's been bubbling up there. And maybe all he was saying to Allen was, you know, you got to give me the ball. You got to give me the opportunities, trying to right the ship. But we don't know what he was saying because, like you said, he left early. He didn't talk uh, to the media about this. He didn't do that part of being a captain. So now we kind of have to uh, just kind of wait and see if we can get more information on that. Obviously, you know, we'll get the uh, Sean McDermott from the coaches tomorrow. We'll hear some from some of the players in, in due time, but uh, not the, the greatest way to end the season. I know this is yeah. a tough one, right? Like, you know, you're just looking for where to point that frustration and there nothing went right today. You're mad about everything. I think the Ken Dorsey conversation is an interesting one because, you know, people have been frustrated with him from the jump. It's felt like, I mean, they, they came out of the gate with those first two games and I think set like an unsustainable standard, right. For like what that offense was going to look like. And, you know, answers come throughout the course of the season. I, I think it was telling to me that, the Bills were so active in the Odell Beckham Jr. sweepstakes, right? Like they knew they needed something else. And so they go out and they add John Brown. They go out and they add Cole Beasley. Those weren't really their plan A's. I mean, really those were the plan C, D, and E, right? Of what they kind of wanted to do. Honestly, what they probably should have gone done is pivot more heavily toward Khalil Shakir. And giving him maybe a little bit more of the target share, involvement in the offense a little bit more. You know, he made a couple of nice plays today. I and mean, that that catch to set up the 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 goal line um, stuff and then the touchdown was huge. It was one of the biggest offensive plays in the game. That's made by a fifth round rookie. You know, Odell. They were chasing that. Brandon was chasing that because they knew they needed something more. So to me, like, does Ken Dorsey deserve? some of the stuff that's getting slung his way, some of the criticism, of course, like he wasn't good enough today. I mentioned it. He didn't put players in a position to make plays. He didn't adjust when it became apparent right from the start that the bills had to completely take advantage of every time they touched the ball. And there wasn't enough urgency. And it almost felt like they, his whole mantra of smart, not conservative. They almost went to conservative because I think they were scared to death of making mistakes and rightfully so you don't want to but you can't completely change it and like you got to let josh allen just wing it a little bit and you also have to they should have been working all week long maybe they were and we'll talk about this too like getting the ball out of his hands quickly what are designs that can get the ball out of his hands quickly that's to me the part of it that ken dorsey has to be better with but there's a reason first year play callers have never won a super bowl ryan like i never expected this to be some seamless and, and, and maybe there's an argument on the other side and my wife texted me this and I think it's, it's a valid criticism and, and counterpoint. There's no time in the Super Bowl window to wait on, you know, training wheels on a play caller, right? Like that, that's a valid criticism if, yeah. if you have it. But I also think there was a lot of good things for this in this season that happened with this offense that you kind of forget about now in a game like this where everything kind of folded. Yeah, and you said it. It feels like when the Bills get to these uh, certain playoff games, certain rounds, they go conservative. And it's now what we see from them all season long. We see them going forward on these fourth down situations. We see them playing more aggressively. And he's one. Sean McDermott is one of the more aggressive head coaches in terms of the stats and what the analytics say. 
but before halftime, you know, there's one where I said, I hate this punt. They're on the other side of the 50. And there were some fans that came up and said, listen, the way the Bills are playing against Burrow in this defense, the Bills don't convert. They're going to get points. And yes, that's probably true. But at some point you have to say, I need this offense to get the, the points. I need them to get in a spot where uh, we can get back into this game. When you're punting on your own side of the 50, I, I feel like that's sending a bad message. I know it was a fourth and 10 play. So there was a lot of things wrong today in terms of how they've coached all season to how they coached in this big moment. Ken Dorsey, there's definitely some blame to go his way. Like you said, things were not great today. The game plan was not great. We saw what Joe Burrow did without three of his starting offensive linemen. It was a lot of quick passes, getting it to the backs, getting it to your tight ends, letting them pick up the extra yards. Obviously your great wide receivers as well. And the Bills just seem to try to be waiting for those longer plays to develop, get open. And with pressure in your face, almost every play, that's not going to work most of the time. Allen had to scramble, uh, move around, just kind of throw it away as someone was hitting him like he did on one throw to Cole Beasley. Um, it, It just wasn't a great game plan across the board, offense, defense, you name it. We are going to have a ton of shows where we look at everything the Bills have to do. And I know it's, you know, right now in the moment, it's almost this almost serves as kind of like a therapy session, right? Like because the expectations were so high this season. And we've been talking about this Super Bowl run, the beginning of, you know, when they reported for minicamp. I mean, even before that, I mean, probably go back to when they signed Von Miller, right? Um, that's when everything kind of um, exploded. And so it's it's tough to as a fan, I'm sure, to sit there today and watch it, and especially in this way. You know, one of the things I was thinking about in the lead up to this, and we kind of talked about it um, on the show on Friday, about just everything you think about this team has gone through. And, you know, they're human beings at the end of the day. And just, you know, watching some of the guys talk about this, you know, I've been in really depressing locker rooms over the five years when um, things have not gone their way. I mean, the two times in Kansas City, the Houston game. I mean, you know, you, you talk about depressing locker room scenes. I've seen them. Today's what felt a little bit different to me. Like it felt like it was, you know, these guys were caring a lot. Some of the words that Deion Dawkins used in that letter that he penned. I mean, I think you got to really give that some thought when you, when you think about what these players and people involved in the organization have been through. And I, I respect for Sean McDermott for not wanting to use it as an excuse, but I felt like this team has looked different since the DeMar Hamlin uh, situation. Like, how could they not to go through that to then not really even focus on football for a week, quick play a game, have the up to that, the down to that, and then have to turn around and start the playoffs. And you saw what happened the last week. I mean, in retrospect, how closely they played that Dolphins team. I mean, this isn't the same team that we saw, you know, in the heart of that win streak or definitely not at the beginning of the season when they had Bob Miller. And I think that's a piece of it. And, you know, I don't think any of them are going to use it as an excuse, nor should they. I guess some people could say um, I'd be fine with it personally. Uh, it, they went through a lot this season going back to, you know, March. Yeah, it, it's been an emotional roller coaster for this team. Uh, but like you said, they're not going to use it as an excuse. They came out. They weren't good at, good enough to defeat a really good Bengals team. Um, but this has been a season unlike anything we've ever seen. And we've talked about that from uh, everything that's happened from before the season started all the way through with the injuries, but obviously uh, some off the field things as well for players and for this community. It's been a tough year. Again, it's not a reason for them to come out and play the way they did today. 
but it, it, there has to be some sort of toll that it's taken on these players individually and, and collectively as well. It's been an awesome year sharing all these conversations with you guys here in the live shows. Uh, we've done a bunch of live events and we have another one coming up, Ryan. The season is not over. We are going to be right back with a big live show this Friday night. And I mentioned the therapy session. Like it might just be a good time for everybody in the Bills community, fan community to come out. Uh, we'll do a season kind of recap show, but more so start to really, you know, open the window to this off season and share some beers, share some wings. Why don't we deliver some, some final thoughts uh, before we get out of here, Ryan. And before we do, uh, I know there probably won't be any more tailgating spreads, but for any kind of uh, hosting party things that you need, I know the Super Bowl is coming up. Bills fans are able to bring themselves to watch it. Head over to Tops, hit up the Carryout Cafe. They always got the great deals going on. Hot to go, fresh, large cheese and pepperoni pizza, fourteen dollars. Jumbo chicken wing, ten count, fourteen dollars. The legendary breakfast pizza. Get yourself a large for twenty dollars. Pizza or taco log, six count, seven sixty nine. Baby back rib sections, five ninety nine a pound plus sub sandwiches, wraps, app sides, and so much more. Visit topsmarkets.com slash red zone for the complete menu of ready to enjoy fan favorites. We're not going to do our tools. The player, the players of the game today, Ryan, I think that's, uh, that's fair. Probably that's skip fair. that, but shout out to value home centers, yes. uh, proud sponsor of the shout podcast all season long. We, we appreciate all of your support, not only like the, our sponsors tops value. So awesome. But all of you guys that have done super chats that have, that have uh, you know watched all our episodes and you know driving ad revenue. You guys are so awesome, so supportive, and uh, we wouldn't be doing this without you. So thank you. I guess that's my final thought. Yeah, final thought for me. I see it in the chat. I think it's some Dolphins fans based on the emojis. This Bills Super Bowl window is not closed. It is still open. Is it more difficult now? Yes. Josh Allen's contract and, and the numbers will start to inflate. Obviously, Brandon Bean will be able to, to move some money around and get things going, but tough decisions that were going to be made for this team going forward. Maybe last year was their, their best chance, at least in terms of what we've seen to date. But as long as they have Josh Allen, as long as they have some of these key pieces, the window's open. NFL, year-to-year league, you, you look at what happened to Patrick Mahomes yesterday in his game. He's not going to be anywhere near 100%. You can never imagine or predict injuries in the league for everyone saying, you know, Joe Burrow is going to be around for a decade. He he will be. And so will Mahomes. And so will Trevor Lawrence and Lamar Jackson. But so will Josh Allen. And there's always uh, going to be a chance as long as the Bills have him at quarterback. Indeed. Well said. Uh, tomorrow morning, locker clean out, 10, 15 a.m. Follow me on Twitter at Matt Perino. I will post updates uh, from players. We'll talk to Sean McDermott in the afternoon at 4 p.m. And then uh, we will, um, whenever we do end up getting to talk to Brandon Bean, that's when we're going to do our next show. So if that ends up being Tuesday or Wednesday, uh, we'll put together a, a show then. And then obviously we'll be live on Friday. For Ryan Talbot, I'm Matt Perino. We love you all, man. I hope you, uh, you're able to uh, find some enjoyment. Uh, away from sports for the next couple of days. I know it's probably going to be a tough one. Uh, I have a lot of unread uh, family text messages. I, I know what it, what these uh, moments are, are like, and uh, we just want to say thank you so much for the support. See you soon. A couple days. Take care, everybody. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot.